Good morning. Welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. We're really excited to see every single one of you guys, whether it's your very first time here, whether you've been checking us out for a little bit, been here a little bit, or you've been here for forever, been part of the family and been serving here for forever. We're excited to see you here this morning. I know it's early. I know that it is um, spring break, and um, I know that there's several people that aren't here, but you guys are here this morning, and I want to congratulate you. You made a wise choice. I'm serious, because that, that is exactly what it means in the Bible when it talks about wise choices. It means making a strategic choice in a direction that you know is the right direction to go. Biblical wisdom takes into account facts and logic, the laws of the land, the culture, what, a whole bunch of different things. It especially takes into account God's clear moral boundaries and the things that he's made very clear. It takes into account any general leading that God gives us that just goes for all people, uh, any specific leading that we feel he has especially put on our heart. But most importantly, the part that, that I hope that we really get this morning is this. Biblically speaking, wisdom takes action. There is no wisdom without action. Because it's all about, in the Bible, it's about not just knowing what is true, but acting on it. And I, not too long ago, I said a very similar thing about faith. And I don't want you to think that I just randomly say that all the time. It's just, it's how it works. I want you to understand, this is how it works in the Bible. You can't actually have faith without acting on that faith. That's how faith is defined in the Bible. But faith is about trusting God and then acting on that trust whether you understand anything or not. Wisdom is all about understanding and learning, and but it's not anything if that's all it is. If you just think about it, make a plan, write it down, and never do it, it's not wisdom. Wisdom is when you act on it in a biblical sense. But here's how I know you made a wise choice this morning. We're not having this conversation online about where you were Sunday morning. You're here you acted on it. You knew that the best possible place for you as a follower of Jesus on a Sunday morning is unquestionably somewhere where the Bible is preached, the Bible is taught, the Bible is followed, where Jesus is followed, where Jesus is worshipped. We may not be the only place where that happens, but we are one of those places. And you showed up. You worshipped him. You gave to him. You're listening to his word, and I hope and pray that you act on it when you leave. Good job. You're on your way. That's what it means to make wise choices. See, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Almost every English translation that we have uses those phrases. They're, they're really familiar to us. Blessed or blessed, the same word. I'm going to say it differently. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I, I, as I've been studying this recently, though, it's really become clear, not just in the original language, but just the context, that what we say when we say hunger and thirst isn't strong enough. What Jesus was talking about is not, we, when we say we're hungry or we're thirsty, it's usually only been maybe a couple of hours since we've had something, maybe a couple of minutes. Even when we say something like, I'm starving, I'm going to die if I don't get a drink right now. Okay, we're, we really don't know what we're talking about with hunger and thirst. But the word that Jesus has used is closer to what we would say when we say we crave something. It's something that we need. We know we have to have this. We absolutely must 
have this. I don't have a lot of personal cravings myself that are that specific, but I do live with someone who does, and I love her very much, and I've got to share a quick story about when she was pregnant with Drew. There was a very specific craving that she had. She needed red ices, and I learned really quickly that there was no substitute. It was, it was this one, the red icy that has a polar bear on the front and the long skinny straw with a little kind of spoon thing on the end, okay? If they were out of that kind, the Coca-Cola one does not work. The Mountain Dew one absolutely does not work. Red popsicles, nope, okay? It's, it's red icy, that's all there is to it. And God love was the middle of June and July, and it was super hot. We were living in a little trailer out at James Ferry Road. The, it, the air conditioning didn't work very well. It was pretty miserable. I get it. I understand. But here's the point. This is not, this is the point. Very specific, and I learned really quickly, I better have one of those in my hand when I showed up at the end of the day. <laughs> All right? This is, this is what I'm saying. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, this is exactly what he's saying. Blessed are those who crave righteousness. Nothing else is good enough. Nothing else satisfies except what God says needs to get done, gets done. It gets done in my life, it gets done in my family, it gets done in my church, it gets done in my community, it gets done in my country, it gets done in this world. Nothing else matters. This matters. If nothing else happens today, this happens. What God says is right. That's what he's talking about. And recently, the Reed family gave me a copy of a, a, a translation I've never even heard of before, but I like it. It's called the, the Passion Translation. I'd like you to read the same verse with me this morning out of that translation. I'll put it up here. But this is Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 6. Same thing I just said to you, but just a different way to say it in English that's a little bit more precise and accurate to the original meaning. I like this a lot. Let's read it together. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. For you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. I like that. See, the righteous do what God says is right. When we get behind the curtain, when we finally start to see life from God's perspective, the, what happens is we start to lose our taste for all the lesser things that kind of kept us satisfied before. And only the things that he commands, only the things that he loves, little by little, the more we see it from his perspective, only those things satisfy. And the things that he says have to get done, we, we finally get to a point where we feel the same way. They have to get done. We can't just believe anymore. We can't just trust anymore. We can't just understand anymore. We've got to act. We need this. We crave righteousness. We have to see this happen in our lives and in this generation, in this life, in this family, in this church. Matthew 5, 8 similarly has been translated with that same blessed are the thing. And, and it's a good translation. That's why almost every English version is within a couple words of this. You usually hear blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Once again, the Greek is a little bit more extreme than the English is. So let me, let me bring this out again. I love this. The word see there actually is a progressive revelation idea. You see more and more as you go. It's kind of like if you've ever learned to play an instrument. I remember being a little kid and watching my dad play guitar and watching people on guitar, play guitar on TV and thinking, 
that's awesome. How did they do that? It's like magic. I've got to do that. I've got to figure that out. I remember my first guitar. I remember being able, how excited I was when I could play three chords and kind of keep up. And people could actually tell what song I was playing. But little by little, I learned more and more. I got more obsessed. And the more I learned and the more I could do things that were starting to amaze other people, the more I realized I'm barely scratching the surface. I have no idea. There's so many chords. There's so many scales. There's so many songs. There's so many rhythms. There's so many everything. There's so many different kinds of guitars. I'll never, I'll never know all of it, but the more I learn, the more exciting and the more fun it is. That's the idea of the pure in heart will see God that Jesus is talking about here. They will see him more and more as they go. And the word pure has to do not so much with cleanliness. That's implied. I'll get to that in a second. But what it means is 100%. It means you're completely committed. Those of us that are pure in heart, that, that's our, he has our whole heart. We're not divided. We're not, it's not so much about no contamination as it is about no distractions. We don't give him 20% or 80%. We give him 100%. And once again, I love the way that the Passion Translation translates this because he gets this really clearly. Here's what he says. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will be open to see more and more of God. I love that. Now, if you really want to get into this idea of living out your life in a righteous way, what 100% commitment looks like, And I'm not saying nobody in this room already does it. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm just laying out the vision, period. This is for all of us. I hope you know. This isn't a judgment. This is saying you've never known this. You've never heard any of this before. I'm just saying this is where we've got to go. And those of us who are progressively seeing more and more of God, you know what I'm talking about. You see so much more than you used to, but you understand more than you used to that there's so much more to see. Right? So if you really want to get into this idea, I recommend the entire book of James. We're going to look at several verses from that book today. But it's one of the most practical, simple, clear, do this, don't do this, boom kind of books in the whole Bible. And I love it. And if this idea of 100% commitment, acting on what you believe, putting it into practice, boom, 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 I recommend the whole book of James. Here's one of the really practical ones that I would like you to read with me, and it is on the screen. So here we go. My dear brothers and sisters... Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is something that we all struggle with because as we start to crave something and we realize how great it is, whether that's Red Ices, whether that's a really great movie we just saw, whether that's a new band we just discovered, whether that's something more about Jesus that we're really starting to get. We get excited and we want to share that. We want to pass that on. And we don't understand how somebody else doesn't see it already. How do you not want to play the guitar? How do you not understand how amazing it is to learn 20 chords instead of just three? Where have you been? That, that, that happens in our hearts and it's, it's a struggle and sometimes what we do is we end up getting angry at people we end up accidentally pushing them away because we're quick to speak and we're slow to listen we're quick to become angry not necessarily for even bad reasons but that's just what it is 
And here's the truth. This is something we've read recently. We talked about it in Sticky Faith Love Group and even in one of our staff meetings. There's a new book called Growing Young, and one of the main points in this is this. Empathy enables change. Judgment prevents it. When we are quick to listen, when we are slow to speak, slow to become angry, the absence of the anger and the, the space and the clarity between listening and actually speaking makes all the difference in the world whether someone even gives us a chance for them to listen to us. But when we just start lobbing out truth grenades, that just shuts it down. So if you really want somebody that you love to listen, I highly recommend that. But let's get into the nitty-gritty of the righteousness. I'm going to assume this morning that everybody here, you have chosen to be here for the right reasons. You crave righteousness. You want to be more and more righteous as you go. You want, you're 100% committed. I'm going to assume that. I'm going to assume that these blessings Jesus is promising, if you are craving righteousness, if you are 100% committed, I'm, I'm going to guess that those are things that are going to apply to you, and we're going to get a little bit more practical. In 2 Chronicles 15, verses 2 to 7, God has just sent the prophet Azariah to King Asa. And at this point, just like many, many points in Israel's history, Israel had strayed way far away from God for a long time. But King Asa is trying to bring them back. He's doing everything he can, and he's getting a little bit discouraged. And so God sends this prophet to him, and the first couple things out of his mouth just are, are, are more just like, hey, remember, this is how it works. It, it doesn't sound all that encouraging, but listen to his words, and, and just imagine God is kind of speaking this kind of, at least the heart of this to you. It's kind of some specific stuff, but listen, this is cool. The prophet Az Azariah went to Asa to encourage him, saying, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach them, without the law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another, because, listen to this, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. We always like to kind of skip over those little verses where it looks like God messes with people, makes it harder, at least even for a few minutes. We like to skip over those parts where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or that God was troubling Israel. God was making it even worse for them while they were distant, running from him. But this is all throughout Scripture. This is not something that you can easily escape. It's the same thing. Again, plug for James. James 4, 6, where we looked at this last week. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. These promises are conditional. We, we got, Jesus said, God blesses the people who crave righteousness. So you only get that blessing if you crave righteousness. 
God blesses the people who are pure in heart. Does he have 100%? We can't miss this in Scripture. I've got a dog named Okoye. She's really fun. Uh, she loves to just hang out with all of us. This is a close-up picture of her and Justice. That's about how close she likes to be all the time. She's, she's really fun. That's one of the things we love about her. But the other night, uh, uh, we were just kind of hanging out. She was sitting on the couch beside me, and Drew came up and tried to get her out of the way, and she kind of playfully growled at him. It, it wasn't like an angry, like, nasty thing, but it was kind of, uh, uh, you kidding me right now? This is my couch. And it was funny at the time, but it was also kind of like, hey, wait a second, dog. Who do you think you are? Like, we all love you, but you're the dog. That's my kid. There is a difference, okay? And I think that's important. I think sometimes that when we have issues with God, when we focus on things, when we crave everything else in the world except for righteousness and except for the things that God has promised and offered to us, we are forgetting who we are. And it's just as ridiculous as a dog thinking, no, oh, no, 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 this is my couch. You go somewhere else. It's, it's crazy. We forget who we are. And that reminded me of one of my favorite movies, The Lion King. Anybody else like The Lion King? Okay. Uh, and this, this one scene where Simba's been wasting his life for a long time. He's been believing lies. He's been running around his whole goal in life. The thing he's craving is that he'll just be able to forget everything else and just not have any more worries. He just wants to just enjoy life until it's over. That's his one goal. And it's not really, it's kind of working, but it's not really working. And then finally, Rafiki comes back into his life, and then he has this vision of his father. And his father says, Simba, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I'd like to tell you this morning that at the heart of it all, the whole idea of righteousness, the whole idea of purity in the sense that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the daily choices we make, the strategic choices we make about how to do everything in our daily lives, that we remember who we are in those moments. When you decide what you're going to do on a Sunday morning, when you decide how much you're going to give, when you decide whether you're going to really worship when other people around you are singing and standing, when you decide whether you're going to be honest or not, when you decide whether you're going to work hard or not, when you decide whether you're going to be kind or not, when you decide every single choice that you make, whether you think it has to do with God or not, that is it. You remember who you are. You are a child of the king. And your greatest thing, the one thing that you cannot live without is that his will is done. And when you remember that in every area of your life, that is what it means to crave righteousness. That is what it means to actually make a wise choice in the direction of righteousness. Dr. Tony Evans is one of my favorite um, writers and uh, speakers. I love to listen to his stuff. I, I, I'm going to quote this part that he's talking about one of Jesus' several stories about a rich owner going away on a trip and leaving people in, star, in charge of all of his stuff and then coming back and rewarding them accordingly. This idea happened several times. There's actually several stories, several versions of it. Some of them, everybody gets the same amount. 
but some do more with it than others. Some of it, they all get different amounts. And, and so he holds the ones that got more, more responsible to do more than the ones that got less. There's a, this happens a whole lot. There's several different versions of this idea that Jesus presents in story form. But one of the ones in Luke 8, 19 is, is the one where a lot of people, they, they just all got the same stuff. But Dr. Evans writes this. He says, some believers don't seriously believe the owner is going to come back and ask them what they did with the time and the talents and the treasure he entrusted to them as stewards. Some believers don't seriously believe the owner is going to come back and ask them what they did with the time and talents and treasure he entrusted to them as stewards. You know how we know they don't believe? Because they don't act like it. Their day-to-day choices, what they do with their time, what they do with their talents, what they do with their treasure, doesn't reflect that it's a guaranteed reality that someday someone's going to come and hold them accountable for what they did with what he entrusted them with. Do you? Do you remember who you are? That's a question we have to all ask ourselves. There's two things we have to do if we're going to try and get this stuff done and help the other people around us get this thing done. The whole idea of discipleship is all about not only following Jesus, but help each other follow Jesus, bringing new people into the family as we go, constantly following him and bringing other people in. There's two big words Dr. Evans likes to use a lot. I'm going to use them this morning. I don't personally care if you learn the words, but I hope you understand the concepts and, and apply those. They're, they're, here's what they are. Intercession and interposition. Intercession is where you pray for other people. Prayer is what, the, what opens the door. We pray for the lost. We pray for our family. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our church. We pray for our leaders. We pray for the, our enemies. We pray and we pray on behalf of others. And it's not just God bless them. We're asking specific things. We're asking God. We're, we're, we're talking like people who are craving. We're not saying, man, I'm, I'm kind of thirsty. We're saying, get me a red icy or don't walk through that door. It's a totally different kind of prayer. And God actually likes those kind of prayers, especially when they're on behalf of someone else or on behalf of his will actually being done. The second one is interposition, and that's where you throw yourself into the mix. Like what Tom just said, sometimes God wants us to help be the answer to our own prayers. Interposition is where you enter the lives of those around you. You interact with them, and you say, I'm going to help make this happen. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to do what needs to be done. I'm going to team up with you and God, and we're going to get this thing done together. We act on it. We crave it so much that we don't take no for an answer. When we see life from behind the curtain, there's a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift is what Dr. Stephen Covey calls it when your entire perspective changes. 
when you look at life just from a completely different way. Sometimes this happens when you get a new job. Sometimes this happens when you get married, when you have a child. Sometimes this happens when you graduate from high school. Sometimes this happens when you start kindergarten. It, 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 there's a lot of things in your life. Sometimes when you find out that you've got a terminal illness or, or when someone you love does. or There's so many different things that could happen in life that just change everything. At that moment, your perspective shifts. And what Jesus is asking us is that we have a paradigm shift that instead of seeing him at a distance and kind of approaching him sort of little by little, that we come behind the curtain with him and see everything the way he sees that. And when that happens, things really do start to change. But as we wrap up this morning, I want to make sure that we understand a couple last things. We're talking about wise choices, not just perspective. And to have a godly perspective, to actually crave righteousness means to say, I am going to get this done somehow. What is the best possible way to get this done? How do I get it? Where do I start? What do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? Who do I get on my team? What needs to happen so that this gets done? Dr. Stephen Covey, I shared this last week, he says that one one place to start is to get proactive rather than reactive. That means you act on what you believe, you make a plan before you start getting all the other input. One way, one way, and if this has ever messed you up in your rhythm of your day or I hurt your feelings or something, I apologize. But I've learned the hard way not to check my email until I've ever already got at least two or three things that I had to get done that day done. Otherwise, all I do is answer emails. Anybody else, do you know what I'm talking about with this? It's just a real fact of life. You have, that's what it means to be proactive. You've got to do what needs to be done and then fill in everything else as best as you can. You also need to act, he says, to be proactive means to know what your circle of influence is and focus your energy on the people and the relationships and the habits that you actually have some control over, not spend your whole life running around worrying about the things that you don't. But specifically this morning, this idea of righteousness and 100% commitment, purity, 100% pure commitment to God, these, these, the way to get there, uh, I think his second habit really applies, and that's this. In his second habit, he says, is this, to begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. In other words, you know what you're aiming for, and then you just make your goals. And that sounds so obvious. But how many days do we go through and we just, honestly, looking back, the goal of the day is survive, right? How many, how many times have we, have we made plans with our children, those of us who are parents, and we look, we look back at the end of an incredibly, ridiculously busy month, and, and we're like, why are we even doing all this? What is the point? We're running around crazy and we, we don't need to do, nobody's got a gun to our head making us do all this. Why are we doing all of this stuff? So you start with this stuff and you say, what do I want most? What's the most important thing? What do I want for, as a, as a parent, what do I want for my child? Do I want them to be happy? Do I want them to like me? Or do I want them to be a lifelong, fully equipped, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? What's going to get there? What's going to help me get there? What's going to help them get there? What do we invest our time and our talent and our treasure in to get there? 
What about me? Do I want to just kind of survive and have enough time to watch something on Netflix tonight? Or do I want to accomplish God's will today? Do I want to get something done? And at the end of the day, God checks something off his lesson and goes, yes. Begin with the end in mind. Figure out what you really want and then make your choices based on that. This has been really, really meaningful to me, a paradigm shift that I personally experienced. I'm going to wrap up with this, and then one last challenge. The band's going to come, and we're going to do this. But one last challenge I want to give you this morning. This is something that God has wrecked me with. And any of you who are leading in any capacity, and honestly, that's almost all of us. There's somebody watching every single one of you. There's somebody looking up to every single one of you. There's somebody in each of your lives, if nothing else, you're the only Christian they know. Or you're the one they trust the most. And some of you have way more responsibility than that. But as in, in a list in Ephesians 4 where God, Paul is writing about the leaders. He's talking about what their job is. It's totally different than how I used to think leadership worked. When I first came here in 91, I was the part-time youth minister and part-time worship leader. My goal was I'm going to get competent enough that nobody feels like they have to keep reminding me stuff or cleaning up after me. (laughs) If they trust me enough to just get it done, they don't go, hey, did you gas up the van? Did you get those forms out on time? Are you sure you called everybody? They don't have to ask me questions. I'm a good leader. That's got nothing to do with leadership. Might have something to do with like personal responsibility and things like that. But listen, this is, skip all the stuff that I didn't understand. This is what I understand now. Ephesians 4, 12 to 13, read this with me. It's talking about leaders when it says there. Here we go. Their responsibility... It's to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So the end that I do everything on now Win, lose, or fail, this is what I'm at. I'm trying to build you guys up to do the work of Christ. I'm trying to encourage you to become more and more mature, to eventually attain the full measure of maturity in Christ. I'm trying to empower you to do God's work. I'm trying to do that. I don't really care that much anymore what people think about me. I do care. It hurts when they don't like me. It's really nice when they do. But really, as a leader, this is it. This is what God has kind of finally just burned into my soul. This is it. If I'm leading, and I'm trying to lead people in the direction of his righteousness, this is all that matters. Are we building up the church? Are we building up, are we empowering you to do his work? So what end has God laid on your heart this morning? What are your big goals? What is it that you really want? What is it you really believe God is telling you to do this morning? Because that's what you need to do at this invitation. We always ask people to come, give their lives to Christ, give their lives back to Christ, join the church. And I offer that this morning. But I'm asking even deeper for every single one of you this morning. Do you want to know God at all? Give him 100%. Do you crave righteousness or not? 
whatever that means, whatever, that, whatever choice, the first choice you need to make in that direction this morning, you need to make that. Every single one of you this morning, that's what you need to do as, as we stand and sing. Band, if you'd go ahead and come, come on up. Whatever we need to do to become 100% committed. Whatever each of us need to do to make sure that God has it all. Whatever we need to do to make do it. It might be something as simple as just committing to being here every Sunday morning and getting you and your whole family involved in at least one other thing here at this church every single week. Because discipleship is the most important thing ever. It might be that simple. Maybe you do that. Maybe, maybe it's something way more than that. Maybe it's a, a very specific, very personal choice. Anywhere between a very specific thing and a general for everybody thing. Whatever it is that God is telling you this morning, I dare you, I dare you to make that choice.